0: Good evening and welcome to Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. Boy, am I glad you're here. This whole thing would be a little weird if you weren't listening. Welcome back if we've had you here before. And welcome to the program if this is your first time. Now, per usual, I have an amazing slate of true, terrifying, paranormal tales to share with you, calls submitted by listeners just like you, and listeners like Sam, from the Hoosier State of Indiana. What the hell's on Hoosier?
1: Hey Derek and everybody at the podcast. Uh, worked really hard to make that happen. My name is Sam, and I'm from Indiana. Kind of lived all over the state, but predominantly in Indianapolis. And I recently found your podcast. I'm binging it. It's great. Anyway, this would have took place probably four or five years ago, around 2015, 2016. I was living in the inner city of Indianapolis on the east side. I'm going to be a little bit vague on the area just to kind of keep a little bit of anonymity uh, for the people who were involved. But anyway, at the time, I was in a relationship with an ex-girlfriend of mine who was getting involved in real estate. And she was buying her first rental property which was a double that she was converting one half uh, while we lived in the other and i was helping with the labor aspect and then we were going to live in the other side once it was finished and work on um, the second half so this would have been while we were living in the initial first half of the double It, it was an old house um i believe it wasn't at first a double. It was converted at some point, I think back in the 50s. And um, as I said, we were living in one side and uh, fixing up the other. And at one point, my younger sister uh, moved in with us as well. She's about two and a half years younger, and we were both in our early 20s. And there was just a little bit of a weird feeling about the place in general. Cold spots, I guess, if you would. And I consider myself a spiritual person, always have. I have always felt that I have a little bit of a heightened sensitivity, especially when I was younger, to things paranormal, um, even before I really understood what that meant. So individually by myself uh, unbeknownst to my girlfriend at the time and my sister I was feeling uh, presence and I've heard of other people describing interactions or experiences they've had with spirits or ghosts and being able to feel them rather than see them and I would say that I I identify more with that. Uh, I have seen things but mostly it's been feelings and with those feelings kind of comes the description of the the person or the entity. Yeah, so when I felt this entity, I, I immediately could identify that it was a, a female, a young female, and it the contact would happen mostly on the staircase. It was a two-story and on each side. And this feeling this spirit was predominantly on the staircase and it didn't feel evil. She was just there. So with having had experiences like that before, I wasn't super freaked out but it was something I had kind of kept to myself for a minute not wanting to alarm the other people I was living with. Well, anyway, one evening we're all hanging out and I don't know exactly how the topic came up, but all three of us, me, my sister, and my girlfriend at the time, had all brought up this girl that we felt. And all of us felt the same person, the same description, the same type of clothing, the same demeanor. And that, for me, that that basically had solidified that, you know, it was something beyond me. It was it was happening, and like I said, there wasn't anything that seemed like this person was angry. She just was there. So after a little bit of time, I don't remember if it was my girlfriend or if it was me, because we both were keen on doing you know research about where we were, where we were living, um, especially with her getting into real estate. We had come to find out that where we were located. The double that we were in living in was two plots or parcel numbers. Uh, every, Every piece of property has its own parcel number. So it was an empty lot at the time that we lived there. But two parcel numbers down was where the Sylvia Likings murder had happened back in the, I think it was the 60s. It's a really big case. I mean, they made a movie on it uh, with big names, and you can look into it. Uh, we did, obviously. You know, and that just goes to show what some research can do, finding out about where you live and what might be going on. But, yeah, again, I don't know if this was Sylvia liking herself. I'm not claiming that. I We really don't know what it was, but the coincidence was pretty scary and we just continued to live in it finish out the project and coexist with whatever was going on and eventually we moved on from that property and you know it's been some years now but yeah just listening to your podcast I kind of had thought about that and um yeah so I wanted to call that in and hopefully you guys can use it it was uh a really, really weird experience that I shared with a couple people, so again, thanks for the podcast, it's great, and thanks to everybody who works on it.
0: Take care. Thank you. Thank you, Sam. You know, I had not heard of this heartbreaking case until this call, although it's my understanding that it's quite popular in the state. The torture and murder of Sylvia Likens. 16-year-old Sylvia Likens was found on this night back in 1965. Police called her murder one of the worst crimes they had ever seen, finding the teen beaten, tortured, burned with cigarettes, and eventually starved to death. Lycan's parents left her with Gertrude Banazuski, who one month prior, and eventually she and several of her children were convicted of the teen's murder. Like we mentioned, this case has inspired books and movies, but it also led to massive changes in Indiana's child abuse laws requiring anyone who spots abuse to report it to police. Now that clip courtesy FWR-TV, ABC News 6 out of Indianapolis. And it only gives the most basic of details. I looked into this case, and I wish that I hadn't. It's vile, what happened to that poor girl, and it's a travesty the amount of time served by the murderers. Now, I'm not a true crime guy, nor is this a true crime podcast, so let's swing things toward the paranormal. It's certainly eerie that Sam and his housemates all seem to share the same feelings, and come to the same consensus. ...in regards to their ghostly visitor. And if it was, indeed, Sylvia's ghost that found its way into Sam's home... ...she certainly wouldn't be the first murder victim to do so. The Greenbrier ghost, which we covered a few seasons back... ...the ghost of Big Moose Lake... ...and the ghost of the murdered children of Canic Chase, England... ...are all infamous stories like this that come to mind... So thank you again, Sam, for taking the time to share. It's not exactly knowledge that I wanted stored in my brain, but it sure did make for a terrifying story. Now, what do you say we jump to the opposite end of the paranormal spectrum with an aerial mystery from Rebecca in the state of Wisconsin?
2: Hi Derek, this is Rebecca. I live in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So this happened in late winter, early spring of 2002 or 2003 here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, right on the lakefront. I've always loved meteor showers, anything having to do with outer space. And my then boyfriend, he's now my husband, but um, my boyfriend at the time, told me there was a meteor shower that we could be viewed in the early, early hours, morning hours. And I was working third shift at the time. So I got off of work and it was about 4.30 or 5 in the morning. And this is supposed to be a spectacular meteor display, one that could only be viewed once every decade or something to that effect. So we go to the cliffs, Uh, along Lake Michigan. I want to say it was right near Grant Park, um, which is a huge uh, park here in Milwaukee. It's actually located in South Milwaukee, but it's right along the lakefront. And we sat on a cliff and there were a few other people there um, watching the meteor shower. And we're looking at the meteors and I mean, it was beautiful. And because it was the early morning hours, you know, the sky just takes on this very crisp and dark Things really stand out. The the meteors were really standing out, and as we're watching, all of a sudden, one of what I thought was a meteor, it kind of like came down, and then all of a sudden, it just stopped, and then started moving all around the sky. It was going. It looked like somebody was holding a laser pointer up in the sky, but it wasn't a laser pointer. It looked like a meteorite, but then it was zigzagging all over the sky. It was making these really crazy flips and turns. And it was almost like trying to get, I I just felt like whatever this was, was trying to get our attention. It was like, Hey, look at me, look at this. This is weird. I just had that feeling. And we're watching this light, this meteor just zip around the sky. And I, I'm like, do you see that? Honey, do you see that? What is that? And one of the other people that were watching the meteorite display, they were just like, uh, I see that too. It, uh, is that a satellite? And, and uh, the, another one of the people that were standing there, they were just like, no, satellites don't do that. I mean, this thing would stop and do these right-hand bank turns that nothing that flies can do. Nothing, none of the technology we have um, that I know of can do anything like that. It was just the craziest thing. And then the light would stop and it would get a little bit bigger. And it was like this bright, bright, like white, bluish color and it would get a little bit bigger and then it would shrink down a little smaller back to its normal size and then start doing all these crazy turns. And it was really just, I don't know, it was weird because I didn't get a bad feeling at all. And quite the opposite. It was like exhilarating and really just beautiful. And my husband and I, we always talk about it now. And we always say that we should have known that we were destined to be together because i had always wanted to have some kind of unique UFO or UAP experience that I never had, and and to have it on one of our first real serious dates, and then you know here it is decades later, and we're married with two kids, and so sorry I get all emotional. Anyway, thanks so much. Love the podcast. I know that wasn't uh, super paranormal or anything, but it was just a really cool uh, experience. So thanks again, Derek. Keep up the good work. I know.
0: Thanks, Rebecca. Now, a lot of that sounds very familiar, the zipping motion described, the feeling that whatever these things are, that they're almost calling out to you, beckoning you to notice, and of course the 90 degree turns. These are all details infamous with a good UFO sighting, and like many other past experiences, this one too left the witness, Rebecca, with more questions than answers but it also adds yet another testament that something strange is going on in the skies above. Thanks again, Rebecca, for sharing the entry. Now, if you have a true paranormal story that you would like to share on the show, simply give the hotline a call at 1-888-608-9. That's 1-888-608-6444. Or if you're overseas or calling from long distance... Just record the story on your phone and email it to me. Now, next up, we venture to the Empire State of New York. Lenny, go ahead with your story.
3: Hi, Derek. So, this is Lenny. I live in the Poconos, but I grew up north of Buffalo. So, my story takes place 1984. So, I was a senior in high school getting ready to graduate. It was the end of May, and I was out with a friend as a passenger in a vehicle, and we were involved in a head-on collision with another car. (laughs) The tie rod snapped, and we went into oncoming traffic. I was thrown through the windshield and onto the ground in front of us. My injuries were uh, fractured. Cervical spine, cracked skull, and my pelvis was fractured as well. So a lot of a lot of injuries to my scalp, wax, um, my hands, my face, and my ear. So they kept me into the hospital, put me in a cage. A month later, I'm barely even cognizant of what's really going on. I didn't quite understand how badly I was hurt. So they put me in halo traction so that I could be mobile. And I was really petite at the time. I was maybe a hundred pounds soaking wet. They get me out of the hospital, the cage weighed 20 pounds and I weighed 80. So I'm home and my friends are coming to my house to visit. I missed my prom, I missed my commencement, I missed everything. So My friends are coming over and we're just sitting around bull**** around like 18 year olds do. And my girlfriend says, I think it's time you get in a car again. You got to get over your fear of being a passenger. So we get into the car. I'm in my big halo attraction. My girlfriend Diane had this old sedan that had been her grandparents' car. So we tool around and we go over to the river, the Niagara River that faces Grand Island. So looking north toward the falls, we're sitting in the car, smoking, listening to Rush or Zeppelin or Prince and because of the way the body vest is situated the anchored part goes into my skull two points two screws in the front two screws in the back and then it's attached to a body vest and for girls it's cut for each side like in the middle of your sternum so i'm sitting and i'm sitting facing straight ahead because that's about all i can do and my girlfriend diane next to me starts to gasp and she's she's physically going like, oh, bu- 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 bu, like they would on scooby-doo and i crank my body to the left to look at her in the driver's seat and her mouth is wide open and she's pointing to my right so i crank my body to the right and in the vehicle next to us in the passenger seat is a girl that looks exactly like me in halo traction thing, blonde hair and we all have our windows down because it's June or July, August, whatever. She says, is your name Lenny? And I said, yeah, why? She said, people have been chasing me everywhere, yelling and following me and screaming at me. She said that she broke her neck diving into a swimming pool, an above-ground pool. And she was in my bed that I had, after i was discharged they put her in my room and all the nurses were saying oh my god there was a girl here she just broke her neck and yada yada going on and on about the stories so to backtrack (laughs) i can't remember this chick's name to backtrack throughout the course of the summer when people call to check on me or speak to my mom or friends from church friends from greek school greek club whatever high school friends from the pool Neighborhood kids. There were about 15 people that would say, You know, I always liked you, and I couldn't understand why I was waving hello to you, seeing you at the mall, and and you wouldn't respond. You wouldn't acknowledge that I was talking to you. I'm like, I haven't been anywhere since that day that I got in the car to drive to the river. So apparently, this girl didn't live very far from me. She was doing the mall crawl that we all did in in the mid-80s, going out to eat, going to places in town, and everybody yelled my name at her, thinking that I was stuck up and that I wouldn't say hello.
0: Thank you, Lenny. You know, it's not every day that one of these calls solves itself. But that's exactly what seems to have happened here. Now imagine being someone in that town. How odd would it be to see Lenny, and have her not wave back at you? Or just have her ignore you completely? Or perhaps even spookier, you see Lenny in one part of town, then quickly travel across town to see the mystery girl in traction in that part of town. It would almost be as if she was in two places at once. That certainly would be enough to mess with your mind if you let it. Now that's fun stuff, Lenny. Thank you for the submission. And I certainly hope there are no lasting effects from the accident. Sounds like it was pretty horrifying. Now, did you guys order your new Monsters Among Us pennant, designed by the talented Maximus Prime Art yet? Well, these exclusive, soon to be extinct, felt pennants are the perfect addition to your workspace or spooky space. Head on over to MonstersAmongUsPodcast.com dot com forward slash shop to pick up yours plus much more today. That's MonstersAmongUsPodcast.com dot com forward slash shop. Now, next up, we find ourselves in southern Louisiana, where David has an interesting tale for us. Hey,
4: Derek, this is David from southern Louisiana. So this story happened about a year and a half ago. Uh, I was out on my uncle's hunting property with him on a deer hunt, and we were in a in a uh, tree stand, and uh, it was getting to be about dusk, but it was still light enough to where we could see pretty well what was going on. Kind of closing out the day, we hadn't really seen anything all day, sitting still, quiet as one does, uh, not really having much to say uh, to each other, just kind of checking things out and out of the corner of my eye, I was on the left uh, left side of the deer stand, and out of the corner of my eye on, to my left, I, I saw something dropping down out of the trees next to me. Now, mind you, this is in the fall, so there's no real foliage on the trees. It's pretty clear through the trees. I see this dark mass coming down from the trees very slowly, and, you know, looking over to it, I I turned my head slowly to see what it was, and uh, it was kind of above me at that point when I first made eye contact with it, and it was just a – I don't know how to explain it. It was just a black void, but it had a shape to it similar to – it looked like it, like it had a cape that was bellowing almost. I guess the, the first thing that popped to my, into my mind was uh, like Batman from the movies. You know, when you see him lowering down from his cable or whatever you want to call it, dropping down and, and the, the cape's kind of um, bellowing in the wind above him. That's That's what I saw. And it moved very, very slowly coming down. Now the cape feature, whatever you want to call it for lack of a better term, didn't really low or or have any movement. It was almost like it was rigid. I I didn't look yet to see if my uncle had noticed it, but once it hit the ground, I could get a scale of of, about how big this thing was. It was probably about, oh, I'd guess about 50 feet from the deer stand, Uh, but once it hit the ground, it landed kind of in a crouched position, and I say this because I couldn't really tell what it was until it hit the ground, but once it did, it Stood up, and when it stood up, it appeared to be, from from what I could gather, about two feet tall, and, and it stood up on two legs, and it still had this cape-like feature on the back of it. It, it. it landed facing away from us, and when it stood up, it just walked off on two legs, kind of briskly, almost running, but more of a, a fast walk. That's when I turned and looked at my uncle, I said, did did you see that? And he said, yeah, I saw that. And we both had no idea what to make of it. It, I was freaked out, almost had uh, sort of a sense of dread about it. But, uh, you know, just since time's passed, we've both not really talked to many people about it because we sound like we're loony. But, you know, when he and I get together and kind of recall that story, trying to figure out what that was and thinking of any animals in the area that, would, that that could have been. Just have no idea. It was strange. So we call that our our Batman in the Wood story. Uh, miniature Batman in the Woods story. So I don't know if anybody else has seen anything like that, but uh, that's our story. So thanks Derek. Keep up the good work.
0: Bye. Now that's one that'll leave you stumped. Thank you, David. I have no idea what that was. The flaps on the back or the cape like feature that David mentioned. Well that sort of reminds me of reports of Bat Squatch from the Pacific Northwest. And there's also, of course, the creature's resemblance to the Mothman creature reported in West Virginia and northern Illinois. And obviously the detail about it being two feet tall conjures memories of forest folk. Elves, folk, little creatures of the forest. But there are several issues with each of those theories. But the one all three seem to have in common is that that type of phenomena is not typically reported in southern Louisiana. Hell, not even the southeast for that matter. So here is where I rely on you, dear listener. If this rings any bells, we want to hear about it. Shoot me a call. My number again is 1-888-608-NIGHT. Until those answers start flooding in. Thanks again, David, for the amazing entry. Tonight's episode is brought to you by NordVPN. If you think the monsters you find in the forest are frightening, wait until you meet the ones online. Like everyone, I spend a lot of time on the internet, and I take my virtual security and privacy very seriously. And that is why I use NordVPN. NordVPN provides the protection I need to browse the internet safely and anonymously, and protect my data from, well, pretty much everyone. It's super easy to use. I connect in one click, and I don't even notice it's there. In fact, it's been confirmed by Speedtest to be the fastest VPN on the market, and I can use it on up to six devices. I have it on both my studio computers, Sarah's computer, and our mobile devices for across-the-board protection. I can also use it to switch my virtual location and access streaming content from over 59 countries. That's endless binging. So get cybersecurity and access to worldwide entertainment for just the price of a cup of coffee each month. And there's a 30-day money-back guarantee. So what do you have to lose? Head on over to nordvpn.com forward slash M-A-U or simply use coupon code M-A-U at checkout to get 70% off a two-year plan. And if you sign up now, Monsters Among Us listeners get an additional month free. That's nordvpn.com forward slash M-A-U for 70% off a two-year plan plus an additional free month. Remember, supporting our sponsors supports the show. So thank you for listening. And now back to the Nightmare Fuel. Now this next one comes to us anonymously from Parts Unknown.
5: Hey,
6: just a quick one that kind of jogged into my memory because of another caller's uh, story when i was a kid my grandparents had built a mountain house up in the poconos it was a big kind of old boxy i want to say three-story building and on the inside like the the second floor was actually the first floor it was on like a big basement area the living room with a big old fireplace overlooked by like a loft area and then there were two flanking bedrooms so inside it was a really big space it wasn't like those little old cabins you might be used to well we would visit it maybe once or twice every summer when we pull up the grass would always be like head high so the first thing my dad would do was quick mow and then we'd go inside open the place off dust you know because it's been closed up for the season and no one else had access to it or would visit it. None of the other family members had interest in it. But this one summer, we pull up and into the grass and as we're pulling into the grass, both my mother and I see someone walk into the front door and the door close, uh, which made no sense, spooked both of us. We pointed out to my dad. He didn't see it. And again, it steps up to a second floor to get into the house. So he... Put the car park, we all go around and uh, me, my mom, my brother, I'm not sure my sister was born yet, stand there at the bottom of the steps. My dad quick goes around into like the little basement area and grabs my grandfather's hunting rifle. I'm not even sure he loaded it. But you couldn't get into the house from the basement area. So he comes back around, goes up the steps and door was unlocked and we all stand in kind of like the vestibule and he checks the house and just sweeps room to room pretty quick not a lot of places to hide because it's such like an open floor plan and all he finds is that the one bedroom on the third floor which you know this place was on a hill if you exited that window you'd break both legs and your neck the window was open so didn't make a lot of sense uh it put like a weird kind of creepiness to that whole week we spent there but yeah we saw someone enter and (laughs) i guess they opened that window and flew away but yeah just thought i'd share that nice little creepy nugget from childhood love the podcast keep up the great work
0: bye thanks caller Now, I want to start with this strange coincidence. The house the color describes sounds almost exactly like my cabin. Which I suppose also describes just about every small cabin built in the first half of the last century. But I just thought that was interesting. I could picture every move because everything he described fit our house exactly. Anyway... What else I find interesting is the fact that the intruder simply vanished. It reminds me of a story my friend Matt shared with me a few years back. The story of Christopher Knight, the North Pond Hermit.
4: He was in here 51 minutes. He's lugging out hamburg and pepperoni and...
7: This surveillance video showing a burglar stealing food from a campsite kitchen helped Maine authorities nab 47-year-old Christopher Knight, a man known locally as an elusive figure. He was a mystery for more than two decades until now.
4: Soon as he stepped outside the door I just turned game warden on the ground on the ground show me a hand and he immediately just dropped right to the ground.
7: A recluse, Knight says he lived alone in the woods for more than 27 years. Authorities say he told them he's only talked to one other person in all that time.
8: He claims he hasn't had contact with another human being since the uh, mid-1990s when he encountered somebody on a trail. And they just exchanged a common greeting and that was about it.
7: Officials say he lived at this camouflage campsite in the woods, even in the dead of Maine's brutal winters.
8: It's just amazing to me that he could make it through Maine winters like that, living in a nylon tent.
7: Police say Knight targeted vacant campsites, stealing to survive.
8: I would say well over a thousand burglaries. Everything that he stole was to survive, food, clothing shelter, that type of thing.
7: After his arrest, a trooper showed Knight a picture of himself, something he hadn't seen in more than 20 years.
0: That clip was from CNN. It was always rumored that someone was hiding and stealing in the main Forest for more than two decades. A proverbial ghost in the forest, if you will. And it certainly wasn't easy for the authorities to catch him took many years, and a lot of ingenuity. But this story goes a long way to help sell some of these other legends. As it turns out, in this case, the North Pond Hermit was real. And his discovery opens other paranormal doors. The fact that he could survive practically undetected for that long tells me that maybe an eight-foot hairy giant Can as well. Now, of course, I'm not suggesting the North Pond Hermit gave our caller's house a visit, but maybe the Poconos have their own backwoods bandit. Thanks again, caller, for sharing that entry. Alright, folks, the rumors are true. This season is coming to an end. Now, I'm dark next week in preparation for your season 12 finale and your latest installment of hometown legends. Then I get my customary quote-unquote break. I say quote-unquote because I'll be hard at work doing changes behind the scenes. Stuff I didn't have time to do during the season. And of course, I'll be processing hundreds of new calls for the upcoming season. So if you've been waiting for your story to be played, it's one step closer. And after all that... I will be back with the Tales from the Cloth special on March 10th, but don't worry. I'll pepper in a few Patreon unlocks while I'm away, for those of you having withdrawals. So again, off next week, hometown legends, then four weeks off and returning on the 10th of March. So mark your calendars, tell a friend, chart the stars, whatever you feel is necessary. Now we are abruptly reaching the end of this final regular episode of the season. I think I said that right. But before we turn the lights out, I have a few more frightening entries to share, starting with Penny's entry from the state of Maryland.
8: Hi, this is Penny from Maryland. wanted to call and talk about a experience I had In the summer of 1997, my mother and I were driving south through Colorado from La Junta to Trinidad on Highway 350. It was summer. It was a clear night. It was about 10 o'clock at night. It was my mother and I driving southbound. I was driving. My mother was asleep in the passenger side. Now this was in the 90s, so no cell phones. No recorders, nothing like that. There was only the radio. And at that time of night, on that specific stretch highway, there were no other cars. Very few buildings through that at that time. It's a very desolate road. As I was driving southbound, I happened to look to my left, which would be south. By this road on either side is usually fields, like a, a short field and then hills. So you're kind of driving through almost a valley. On the left side, what I noticed in the distance was what well, I thought was blue Christmas lights. And I thought that was odd because it's a very rural area. And as I was going along, I came in parallel with the lights. They were on the side of a hill and they were in a triangle. It was a fairly long triangle, very long, pretty big. I would say about the size of a football field. And it was probably about that far away from the car as I was moving along. And it was tipped on its side, so it looked like it was on the side of the hill. As I passed, I noticed that it was blue, all blue. It was outlined. I saw no other lights as I passed. What Shocked me was that as I moved along, and I was going at that time, it was about 55 miles an hour on this road, so I wasn't going quick, but I wasn't going slow. That the triangle seemed to notice me and started running in parallel with me. It took me a while to notice this because I thought I would pass it and it would be in the rearview mirror and I would continue on my way. But as I looked over, it maintained. I found this very scary because I didn't know what it was. I thought it was somebody putting Christmas lights on the side of the hill. We continued on down the road for probably, I'd say about five, 10 miles. No sound, no other cars. As I approached, I I believe the town was modal. I could see the lights in the distance. And at this time I was getting really afraid because this, Thing was with me, and so I started increasing my speed. As I came to the town, this triangle kind of drifted off to the south over the hill until I couldn't see it anymore. My mother didn't see any of this. She woke up when we came into the town, and I never told her. In fact, I've never told anybody that I saw this. I don't know what it was. There's no missing time. There's nothing. We made good time. We got to Trinidad, we stopped, and we continued on. So this was something that I have no explanation for other than what happened and what I experienced. So I wanted to share that. As I said, I've never told anybody. And that's my experience. Thanks.
0: Thanks, Benny. It's not every day you hear a story about one of these strange triangle craft with a blue hue rather than the typical black void. Now I've received dozens of reports of triangle-shaped aircraft, many of which originating from the western half of the United States, and Colorado would certainly fall in that region. But the blue detail, that's what gives me pause A detail that's so distinct from other, similar sightings. I almost wonder if this isn't some other phenomena completely. But what that something is... Well, that's not for me to decide. But thank you, Penny. For sharing that encounter. Now, I know I don't have to tell you about this, but I've got bills to pay. If you're going to be missing the show over my hiatus... Why not fill that void with some 54-plus Patreon episodes? Something you get for a mere $4 a month. Just visit patreon.com forward slash Monsters Among Us podcast. And here's the best part. Binge the entire backlog. Get caught up. Then you can cancel. I'm 100% okay with that. So again, that's patreon.com forward slash Monsters Among Us podcast. So this next one is a bit of a two-parter. So Kat, tell them what I mean.
9: Hey Derek, my name is Kat. I'm calling from Long Beach, California, but this event actually occurred in a very small town called Casadega, which is located in central Florida. Now, anyone who lives in the central Florida area knows about Casadega, but I don't know that many people actually do. It's a kind of old spiritualist camp that has sort of evolved into a very small little sort of destination for, um, hippie types or spiritual types. They do all kinds of ghost tours and aura readings and all sorts of stuff like that. But, there is some interesting history there. And I used to go quite regularly when I lived in the area. So one night I went with a friend. It was a full moon evening. It was a super moon evening, I recall. And I think the year was 2017 or 2018, sometime in the summer. And um, I went with my friend. We had intended to take a walk to, uh, to the little lake that's kind of located just behind the town. And this lake is known to to have some kind of sort of spiritual power. So she and I hopped a fence. There was a a fence that had been newly erected at that time because previously you could just walk on the road and go there. So when we went, there was a fence, and we decided, okay, well, we're going to hop the fence, which perhaps we shouldn't have, but we did. And I remember... Really quickly after that, I saw a ton of people standing in front of us. And uh, they weren't completely people. They were sort of spirit people. They weren't really in a flesh form. They were in a way transparent and kind of in all muted colors. And they were all dressed in clothing that is not modern. I want to say it was close from, like, the turn of the century, the the 1800s to the 1900s, maybe. I'm no expert on that. But men, women, there was kind of like a military look to them, some of them, maybe. But anyway, they were all sort of facing us, and they kind of were just standing in almost a big mob completely occluding the road and I stopped in my tracks and I stopped my friend and I said, do you see that? And she said she didn't and she wanted to know what I saw. (laughs) I'm no stranger to seeing spirits or seeing something paranormal, unusual that maybe a lot of people can't recognize. So I didn't really want to go into detail about anything. I, I just sort of decided after a second that I would mentally address them and what happened was when I did so I just slowly stepped forward and they all parted on either side of the street so we kept walking and I was getting more and more hesitant as we walked, because as we walked down the road between these rows of people, they just turned and looked at us. It was very unnerving. (laughs) I wasn't threatened, but it was unnerving. Now, what actually made me have to turn around and go back very quickly and hop over the fence again was that we got to the end of these rows of people And uh, the lake was almost visible. You sort of turn a a corner. And when we did that, I saw, she saw as well, a, a human running, a person running in shadow. And that person jumped in the air and turned into a cat. And the cat leapt into the forest that was right there. That was completely shocking. It happened right before our eyes. She saw it. I saw it. And I've never really been able to figure out what that was other than someone who was doing some kind of shape-shifting work under the full moon. So, thanks.
0: Thanks, Kat. First things first. Casadega, Florida. That place is far too interesting not to have a detour to. Don't believe me. Take WTVT, Fox News 13, out of Tampa Bay. We'll take their word for it.
8: For more than 125 years, the quiet community of Casadega has been somewhat of a mystery to many Central Floridians, and people have lots of other misconceptions about it too. We worship the devil. There's a, you know, an evilness about us. As spiritualists, we don't even believe in the devil. But for those in the know,
3: Casadega is a gateway
8: to the great unknown. For over 125 years we've had
3: mediums here and, and with that comes a lot of energy. It started with a
8: seance in which George Colby, a young spiritualist from New York, was told he would establish a spiritualist community in the south. And in 1875, he found the place that would one day become Camp Casadega. We have about a hundred residents that live in the camp. Many who live here are mediums and healers, who offer services from their homes or apartments, attracting believers from around the world.
0: No, I don't know when I'll next be in the state of Florida, but I'm swinging by that place for sure when I am. It seems to be one of those places that's simply untouched by time. Now, as odd as the place sounds, cat, I wouldn't be surprised if these weren't simply residents you saw doing whatever delightfully weird things they do down there. That wouldn't surprise me in the slightest. But the second part of the story, the strange figure that seemingly transformed into a cat. Well, I've heard that detail somewhere else before. And after an exhaustive search, I finally found it. A few months prior to Cat's submission, I received another call from a gentleman named Jay in Michigan. And what I found in his call made my jaw drop. Tell me what you think of this connection.
10: Hey Derek and everyone else at Monsters Among Us. My name's Jay. I'm from Michigan. But this story I'm gonna tell you is a Phantom Cat story or something like that. Um, I'll let you decide. So this place takes place I think in it's in Romulus, Michigan. Yeah, Romulus, right by the metro airport. My son and his mom moved in with her now ex boyfriend and like in, in the area she moved into was a really bad area. I mean, gunshots or always heard in the area. I don't know why she moved there, but she did. And um the gunshots actually play a role in this one too. So I decided to take a different route home than usual because they were doing construction by the airport. So I went around to the other side of the airport to go through there to go cut through Wayne to go to my area in Westland. So I'm going and I hear cops just going crazy. Right, you hear cop cars like a bunch of them. Let's say. By the time I got to the spot. There was like. four, five, six of them. And even airport security. And some other type of trucks too. All had lights. And. This is going through. The, there's like a suburb. That's like right across. From the airport gates. Like they have giant fence around the airports. You know. The ones that they use to keep people out. So it's saying. Do not. No. Do not enter. No trespassing. Da da da. So. I hear this. Loud noise, like a scream, and I thought it was because someone got shot because I heard gunshots and everything else. And next thing I see, this, this, like, away from the lights, it was like someone running, and they're running on two legs. And then the weird thing is, they drop down to four legs. And then after went past one of the cars, it looked like a cat. A big black cat. Almost like a panther or whatnot, Like that, that, that same body shape height. Is one of those wildcats. And it leaped over the fence. Onto the airport property. Then as it was running. It got back on the two legs. And continued to run. And all the lights went off. At the airport. A bunch of security guards were. Driving around. Going crazy. I don't know what happened. Because I got out of there after that. I don't like being around cops to begin with. And there was a bunch of them. And I know there was like me and my car. And then there was a couple of others that were behind us. And the cops were directing us through the suburb to go around and whatnot. But they didn't ask us any questions. We didn't ask any questions. I don't know what the other people did. No, I didn't. I was freaked out. So, I don't know. It looked like a shadow person. And then it looked like a cat and then back to being a person again. I don't know what happened. It was weird. All I know is because of that whole scenario, I had to get gas because I almost ran out of gas because they just had the whole road blocked off and it was slow traffic going through there and whatnot. Oh, also a little sub story. The airport I was talking about, my old teacher when I was until in high school used to always tell us back when he was younger, he would go to this one spot by the airport and there was this triangular thing or like this like thing in the sky and it would just go in a triangle constantly a triangle shape over and over again followed the same path over and over again doing a triangle and then at the flash of light it was gone he told us this and um i'll never forget it it was pretty cool so a lot of weird stuff happens at the airport there's one terminal from the original airport before they redid it and it's supposed to be haunted i've heard stories about the hotels all around the area being haunted there's even like a fedex building that got added some time ago and i've heard stories about that the whole area is just riddled with like mystery and stuff sometimes but i hope you can use this i will get back to you soon bye
0: thank you jay now isn't that strange Now, it's practically the same story, but from two separate perspectives, some 1,000 miles apart. And outside of shapeshifter and skinwalker lore, I have heard of many other stories quite like these two. But that wasn't going to stop me from finding a connection. But despite many wasted hours scouring reports on the internet, thumbing through my collection of books, and texting with colleagues... I was unable to pin either of these experiences to any existing lore or anecdotal reports. It's almost like this thing, whatever Jay and Kat saw, simply slinked back into the shadows. But not all is lost here, because in my digging I did manage to dig up a semi-related story that up until that point had managed to elude my memory. The story begins in Sussex County, Delaware. A speakeasy from YouTube. Well, as they did for me. Fill you in from here.
11: Long Cemetery dates back to the early 1800s when the town was fresh and rests on the fringe accessible via weathered and undeveloped road. And though it may not look like much at first glance, Long Cemetery is surrounded by one of the most disturbing hauntings we've ever heard of. The resting grounds are said to play home to the apparition of a caretaker who, in life, had features that were very similar to a cat. There are various versions of this legend that have been passed down throughout the years, some claiming he was murderous, others that he was obsessed with cats, and others still that claim he practiced dark magic. Whatever the case, it's said that his spirit lurks in the darkest corners, slinking behind headstones, waiting to prey on any who enter his domain. His spirit is said to appear as a disturbing half-man, half-cat creature with glowing eyes, and he has been known to get quite violent at times, chasing many, especially teenagers, from the area, and even leaving scratches on several occasions.
0: It's gruesome stuff. And I can't help but visualize Ron Perlman in the 90s acid-trip television program, Beauty and the Beast. I tossed a link in the show notes if you're curious as to what I'm yammering on about. So, I don't know. What a way to end the regular part of the season. Werecats. Who had that on their Monsters Among Us bingo card? Well, as usual, if you have any information that I don't, get a hold of me and I'll keep everyone else up to date. And a huge thanks to Kat and Jay for sharing their stories. I appreciate the great entries. And speaking of appreciation, I truly appreciate each and every one of you. Thank you for tuning in. Because that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Sarah Carter Hayes, and Addy Lloyd all media used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use and keep the party going by following us on social media we have accounts at Facebook Instagram and Twitter and while you're online please do us a solid and rate and review the show wherever you can and if you enjoy this program you're going to absolutely love Para Weekly I have a brand new episode dropping tomorrow now, Para Weekly is my paranormal news show over on YouTube, and I release every other Friday. So join us while we analyze pictures, videos, and cover the latest in paranormal news. Finally, the terrifying score you heard this evening was provided by Co.AG Music, Iron Cthulhu Apocalypse, and Carl Casey at White Bat Audio. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time. Now, in case you're just now realizing it, I slap a bonus call onto the end of the show. Kind of a nod to the old movies that used to add more movie at the end of the credits. Well, I typically reserve this spot for the strangest of entries. And tonight's offering is no different. I think you'll be thinking about this one for days. Colby from Utah, welcome to the program.
5: Hey Derek, this is Colby from Utah. I can't tell you exactly where I'm from due to my job, but uh, I'm a grave digger. So this happened in April. Oh, sorry, that's just it just scares me. Uh, so basically we had a call come in uh, saying that we needed to prepare a grave that was four feet by four feet that was about four to five feet deep um as deep as we could uh, get it with being such a narrow grave. So we went out there to dig it and we dug it and we had it already. So about a we put boards over it anyway. Uh, a week later, uh, we had three 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 men come. Uh, they were all in suits and they had this box. We weren't told anything about it. We were just told to prepare it and they handed us the box and had us bury it. And it's not a box that you would put a body in. It's it, We're just not. <laughs> like, it, we weren't told. So uh, the three men, uh, they all looked the exact same. Uh, they didn't really talk. Uh, their, it must have been their superior. Uh, sorry, it scares me. <laughs> it must have been their superior or somebody that uh, called and was talking for uh, to- told us. I'm not sure because it was my boss that got the phone call. Uh, We just dug it and uh, buried it, and uh, yeah, that's my story. I'm not sure if this is shareable or is anything that is part of the podcast or anything. I just uh, wanted to uh, let you know, and sorry, I'm just kind of nervous on the phone and stuff. So thanks, Derek. Love the show.
0: What the hell was that? A grave, four foot by four foot, four to five foot deep and three strange men in suits, with no information in a mystery box. Now perhaps it's worth mentioning that one of the world's most mysterious locations, the infamous Skinwalker Ranch, also lies within the borders of Utah, the state from which Colby's story originated. Now I'm not saying there's a direct connection to the two, but... Facts like that seem to raise even more questions. So thank you, Colby, for calling in. And thank you for sticking around to the end of the program.
4: Have a good night